gentlemen, Matthew Perry. just so great to be here, you know. I, I live and work in L.A., but the uh, show I'm on is uh, set here in New York. And, uh, you know, even though Friends is produced 3,000 miles away, I always considered it to be a pretty accurate representation of life in New York. So, you know, <laughs> imagine my surprise when I came here this week, and I heard a lot of New Yorkers saying that they thought uh, some of the stuff we do is a bit of a stretch. For instance, in the, uh, in the opening credits of Friends, the six of us dance in a fountain. <laughs> you know, like people do in New York. They uh, dance and laugh and have fun. But I had people telling me here that real New Yorkers don't do that. That people would never drop whatever they're doing to just go dance in a fountain just for fun. Well, you know what? I'm not, the, I'm not quite that cynical. I think New Yorkers do like to have fun. And this morning, I set out to prove that very point. Hi, I was wondering if you might be interested. Matthew Perry. I love Friends. It's my favorite all-time show. Oh, thanks. <laughs> hey, listen. Do you want to come dance in a fountain with me? No. Hi, what's your name? <laughs> Any interest at all in uh, getting in that fountain with me and splashing around, doing some dancing? <laughs> Okay, listen, I'm gonna catch you later in the day then. Excuse me, would you be kind enough to just go dance with me in that fountain? Uh, hi, would you like to come dance in a fountain with me? Yeah, let's go. Let's do it. This is gonna be good. Real good. You know what, uh, this isn't a today thing. I didn't mean today. But uh, why don't you give me a call in L.A. next week? All right, what's your name? David Schwimmer. Okay, you're so close. You're so close. We're practically in the water already. If you just kind of just, if you hopped, maybe you could just hop, you know, you hop. How's a hot dog? All right. I don't suppose there's any chance in any way, in any world, at any time, that you would just go into a fountain with me and dance and just have some kind of fun. Is there? Yeah, all right. I proved my point. <clears throat> we have got a great show. Oasis is here. So stick around. We'll be right back. Rest in peace, Matthew Perry. Without you, this podcast would not exist. An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is... It was a thing on TV. I give you Super Train. Episode 424, Submission 394, Class. Now, just to be clear, this is not to be confused with The Class, which we covered in a previous episode, the show from CBS around 2006 to 2007, no, this is a completely other class.
And also, not to be confused with previous entry, Drexel's Class. Class aired on BBC Three from... Now, let me get this straight. I want to be technically correct since this is from the UK. It aired from the 22nd of October, 2016, to the 3rd of December, 2016, for eight episodes. That is, for the record, half a crock block. Yes, that is eight episodes shy of the mark set by Uncle Crocs Block, Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Show, J.J. Starbuck, Schooled, Misfits of Science, and the aired episodes of Salvage One. Yes. All by memory. What? It's also the second entry in three episodes, which also comes from the year 2016. How about that no entries from 2016 in the first 421 episodes, and now we have two in the last three shows? Go figure. Is there a theme song to this? Yes, there is. I need to find it. Oh, the opening theme is Up All Night. That's the title of this. It's a copyrighted song, so I guess we'll be in trouble by YouTube. But okay, whatever. Here it is. To be honest, if you had told me that was a mid-2010s WWE entrance theme song instead of the theme for class, I would have probably believed you. Well, in 1963, when Doctor Who started, and this will be key when we discuss our next subject next week, it was originally set in a school called Coal Hill Academy. This was the school that the doctor's granddaughter, Susan Foreman, attended with her teachers, Ian and Barbara. And, well, let's just say Ian and Barbara were suspicious of Susan, and they chase her to a junkyard, and then uh, hilarity ensues. 60 years worth of hilarity. And wacky shenanigans happen, too. You forgot tomfoolery and skullduggery. That too. But over the years, Doctor Who has kind of come back on occasion to the Coal Hill Academy. Of course, notably in the new series, it was featured prominently in Peter Capaldi's run of Doctor Who, where Clara Oswald was a teacher at Coal Hill Academy. And this kind of sets up, in a way, the Doctor's adventures by the Doctor. I mean, the 12th Doctor, of course, played by Peter Capaldi, setting up this show. By the way, fun fact, Peter Capaldi related to Louis Capaldi. He's the uncle of Louis Capaldi. And every time I hear that uh, that one song, I was hoping for somebody, you know, I just think, that guy's uncle's the doctor. And he's famous his own damn self. Think about that. Well, wasn't Peter Capaldi also in a band with Craig Ferguson? Not many people know this. That is true. Peter Capaldi was in a band with Craig Ferguson. But again, if you are a big Doctor Who fan, which Greg and I are, you know he could really shred on his guitar there. Of course. Stephen Moffat, the executive producer at the time of Doctor Who, made this show. And we talked about Stephen Moffat before, obviously, when we talked about the American version of coupling way back when. Oh, man. That was a tough choice going through coupling. Well, it serves to remind us all that Stephen Moffat had a very multifaceted career. On one hand, you have some of the best episodes of Doctor Who ever. And on the other hand, you have the American version of Coupling. But let's be honest. 
He had a limited role in that, so. Very limited. He was like, you know what? If you could just take my name off of that, that would be awesome. But Chica, what is class about? Okay. This was actually the brainchild of not only Stephen Moffat, but noted science fiction author Patrick Ness, who, by the way, has dual citizenship, U.S., U.K. Oh. Yeah. So this show picks up where the events of the 50th anniversary left off, and the show features a class of students from Coal Hill Academy and their teacher, all of whom have a various degree of secret double life. For one, star student Charlie Smith is actually an alien prince of the Rodians. The last of his species saved by the doctor from another more hostile species called the Shadowkin. For another, their physics teacher, Andrea Quill, is actually Androoth, last of her kind, the Quill, sworn enemies of the Rodians and subject to a psychic link to Charlie after launching an unauthorized war against the Rodians. Together with Charlie's classmates, they are tasked by the 12th Doctor himself, Peter Capaldi, to protect the world from any threat to Coal Hill Academy when he is unable to do so himself. So, who is in the class of class? Not to be confused with the class of the class. We've already talked about this, Greg. If only John Burnfall was in this. I keep telling you. Are we talking about John Burnfall from his later lighthearted roles or John Burnfall from The Punisher with his myriad of Second Amendment devices? Oh, that would be hilarious. It'd be like that Tom Berenger movie, The Substitute. Remember The Substitute with Tom Berenger? Yeah, I do, actually. I'm thinking to myself, you know what class could be best described as? What would happen if the substitute and the faculty had a kid and it had Doctor Who guts? Oh, hold on a second. This is the second time this week I get an excuse to mention Laura Harris on this podcast because she was in the faculty with Jon Stewart and Josh Hartnett and Elijah Wood. Man, I gotta watch that movie sometime. What? It was a good movie. I liked it. Anyway, let's talk about the class behind class. Playing Charlie Smith, Greg Austin, who was in 30 episodes, or the entire run, of Mr. Selfridge. But he was also in 18 episodes of Prime Video's Hunter's with Al Pacino. And you know what that means. Oh, that's right. Something's brewing at D&D. Wow! Al Pacino! It's not Al anymore! It's Dunk! Dunkachino? Don't mind if I do! What's my name? Dunkachino! It's a whole new game! Dunkachino! You want creamy goodness? I'm your friend. Say hello to my chocolate blend. This whole trial is out of sight. They pull me back in with hazelnut too. Caramel swirl. I know it was you. Everyone wants my Dunkachino. Can't get enough of my Dunkachino. Kids from 7 to 17 lining up for my Dunkachino. What's my name? Dunkachino. Dunkachino. I think one of the underappreciated parts of the Dunkachino song is how he works in some of his famous lines from the movies. Like Attica, I know it was you. He works in a reference to Ooh. out of and he works in a reference to out of sight. This whole trial is out of order. Playing Ram Singh, an expert footballer. And by football, I of course mean association football. Yeah, that's right. We're talking about the football Ted Lasso coaches. Word. Fadi El Sayed, who was in Gangs of London on AMC. 
and spoiler alert, Ram loses his right leg in the first episode. Guess who gives him a new prosthetic one? Who would that be? Who would that be? Oh. Next, we have April McLean, an ordinary, unremarkable student whose life is forever changed when she encounters the king of the shadowkin, Karakinus. She's played by Sophie Hopkins, who was in Hurt by Paradise, Wolf and the Watchtower, all noted British productions, not so much anything on this side of the Atlantic. Tanya Adeola, a child prodigy of Nigerian descent who moved up three years at Cole Hill due to her outstanding examination results and truly extraordinary academic capability, is played by Vivian Opara, who, like Sophie Hopkins, wasn't in much of anything on this side of the Atlantic, but her credits do include movies like Rye Lane, Teen Spirit, and five episodes of something called The Rebel. She's currently starring in Then You Run, which, according to my research, has a character named Stink, which is airing on something called Skymax. I assume it's a offshoot of Sky. Yes. Unfortunately, not an offshoot of HBO Max. And rounding out the cast is Andrea Quill, real name Andra'a, the physics teacher, an alien and the last of her species, longtime war enemies with the Rodians. As punishment for her leadership of a war against the Rodians, Quill is psychically linked to Charlie and must act as his protector. She's played by Catherine Kelly, who is known for six episodes of Happy Valley from 2016. And was on Coronation Street for six years, from 2006 to 2012. Mm -hmm. And after that, she joined Greg Austin on Mr. Selfridge. Which, by the way, has Jimmy Piven as the lead. Which, that's weird. There is one other member of the class, Mateusz Andrzejewski. He is the boyfriend of one of the characters. I'm assuming it's Charlie's boyfriend. Yes, it is. Okay, he's played by Jordan Renzo, who is in episodes of Little America and The Witcher. And his character is born and raised in Poland, even though the actor is not Poland. So it's probably like the uh, how on 15 in season one, that one guy from Finland, fake ass Finn that you told me. Olaf played by born and bred Canadian Aubrey Nealon. Who does not have a finished accent in the acting at all. And let's just say Ryan Reynolds. He's very hesitant to play chess with him. You know what? We could talk about Ryan Reynolds all day, but let's talk about the episodes here. Yeah. Okay. Let's start with episode one for tonight. We might die. April, a student at Cole Hill Academy, asked Tanya to help with the decorating for the prom. Tanya has to decline, so April asked Charlie to be her date. He rejects her to the amusement of Ram. The four all attend class with Miss Quill, a blunt and sharp woman. April hands out flyers after school for help decorating the prom hall. After speaking to April, Charlie decides that he will ask a male student, Matus, to the prom. Ram attends football practice and watches as a separate shadow attaches to the shadow of another player. Tanya decides to help out with the prom decorations before she is chased away by another shadow and returns home to her strict mother. Charlie lives with Miss Quill, and he questions her about a missing student and whether she killed him. She recalls giving the student her gun, and the student exploded into smoke after firing off a shot. The headmaster leaves a key with April so that she can decorate the hall. Ram video chats with Tanya and watches as she is attacked by a shadow alien. 
while April's hand is trapped by a shadow. Will demands that April uses her gun to shoot the monster, but Charlie stops her. The shot glances the alien Korakinis, resulting in him sharing April's heart after his own is displaced. Ew! Charlie reveals that he is an alien and was a prince. His people were at war with the Quill, and Miss Quill was the leader of the opposition. She was captured and forced to serve and protect Charlie. Rhodia was attacked by Korakinis' people, the Shadowkin, who wiped out all but Charlie and Miss Quill, who were rescued by the Doctor. At the prom, Matus cheers April up by inviting her to dance with him and Charlie. Tanya is able to attend while Ram attends with the state Rachel. April experiences pain from being linked to Korakinis, and Korakinis appears and kills Rachel, severs Ram's leg, and crushes Quill's gun. The doctor arrives to rescue them. Korakinis states that he is here for the Cabinet of Souls, the resting place for Charlie's people after they die. The kin believe it to be a weapon. Charlie says that the cabinet is empty. Tanya, with assistance from the doctor, turns on the gym's floodlights to eliminate the shadows that give the kin substance. Ram slams Korakinis back into the rift, and the doctor closes the breach. The doctor gives Ram a prosthetic leg from the TARDIS and charges the five students in Quill to safeguard the school against alien attacks. Whilst Tanya helps Ram deal with his stress, Quill muses that she would have used the Cabinet of Souls to wipe out the Shadowkin. However, Charlie disagrees. Charlie looks into the Cabinet of Souls, revealing that it is not empty, and reassures his people with his presence. And of course, Chico, guest starring as the Doctor. Yeah, we just mentioned Peter Capaldi. Yeah, totally mentioned him. Yeah, you know, Peter Capaldi, Malcolm Tucker from the thick of it. He also played the Doctor in World War Z. And you know who he played in World War Z? Who did he play in World War Z? Exactly. He played Who Doctor. Not Who. W-H-O. The World Health Organization. Yes. I don't know. Third base. Okay, so we have in the role of Mr. Frank Armitage, Nigel Betts, who... Spent 40 years as Eddie Hope on Emmerdale Farm, which is another soap opera that is not Coronation Street or EastEnders. And it's not Neighbors, either. That's Australian. Whatever. And it's also on Freebie. I bet it doesn't have any of the episodes with uh, Chris Hemsworth and uh, friggin' uh, what's her face? Oh, I'm going to kill myself for not Kylie Minogue, oh, Margot Robbie, Minogue. Natalie and Brulia. No, heard... these are the new episodes. These are the new episodes. They're on freebie. I'm like, does, okay, does, okay, I got to ask anybody listening, I have a question. Does the new version of Neighbors have at least one Hemsworth brother? Well, hold on. In about 10 years, maybe their kids are going to be on Neighbors. <laughs> My mom like... is Miley Cyrus. Maybe Liam's kid's going to be on Neighbors in 10 years. That'd be great. Another connection to Doctor Who in this episode. Playing Korakinus. Paul Mark Davis. Yes, I'm aware Chico pronounces it Korakinus, and I pronounce it Korakinus. Tomato, tomato, whatever. He's worked on Harry Potter. He's worked on... The Sarah Jane Adventures as the Trickster. He was in six episodes of that. He played Simon the Pharisee in the Bible and its sequel, Son of God. Is that the one that friggin' uh, Mark Burnett did? No, this is another one. Okay. Because I thought Mark Burnett did something about the Bible in the miniseries. He did, but this is the British version. Actually, it wouldn't shock me if this was the Mark Burnett one, because who played Mother Mary on this one? Roma Downey, his wife. Oh, wow. What inspired casting. Mark Burnett probably cast his wife in this. (laughs) Episode 2, which is titled The Coach with the Dragon Tattoo. Gee, that doesn't reference anything, I bet. Ram struggles to recover from the attack at the prop. 
Coach Dawson scolds him for poor performance in the football and demotes him to the second string team. That week, Ram witnesses a creature slaughter, both the assistant coach and a school cleaner, but struggles to find evidence of their deaths after the fact, leading him to question his sanity. Tanya, Charlie, and April investigate on his behalf and learn that a dragon manifesting in different parts of the school is connected with Coach Dawson. They learn that the coach was bound to a female dragon who came through a rift in time and became fused to his body as a tattoo. Its mate roams the school, killing in order to feed her. Convinced by the six formers, the male dragon takes his mate, along with the coach, back through the tear in time. Bram later tells his father about the events thus far. First of all, his father, Varun Singh, played by Aaron Neal, who was in Paddington 2 as Spoon. I'm guessing he was one of the prisoners that Paddington made marmalade with. He was also in Peaky Blinders and Tracy Ullman's show in 2016. Not to be confused with The Tracy Ullman Show, but Tracy Ullman's show. Also, a voice in Warhammer 40k Darktide. And can currently be heard on Netflix's Castlevania Nocturne as Mizrak. Episode 3. Night visiting. On the second anniversary of her father's death, Tanya is visited by an apparition of him, employing her to take his hand and bond their souls across time and space. She questions the apparition out of the possibility of hallucination. She doubts everything when he has legitimate memories of her and himself. He says if she goes with him, she will find closure and be relieved of her grief. Throughout East London, Alien vines emerging from the space-time tear at Coal Hill are capturing Londoners with images of dead loved ones. Even Miss Quill is visited by an entity that claims to be her sister. However, Quill is much more skeptical and doesn't believe what she is seeing. During a video call with April, Ram gets a visitation from Rachel, his late girlfriend, but he flees from her and meets April outside. On the streets, Ram finds the alien has already claimed victims everywhere, with people covered in green, slimy vines in shops in the end of the streets. April joins him eventually. They investigate together and grow closer. April tells Ram about how her mom ended up in her wheelchair. When she was eight, her dad attempted to drive off a bridge with her and her mom inside. Ram and April then kiss. Matus and Charlie take their relationship to the next level after Matus is kicked out of home by his parents. Charlie allows him to live with him that night. They confess their love to each other and have sex. Ooh! Quill confirms her suspicions of her too nice quote-unquote sister, learning it is really a projection of a hungry alien creature called the Landkin that feeds on the grief of creatures while it's killing them in the process. Will gets Charlie to stab it in the hand with a screwdriver, which destroys her branch of the landkin. Quill, Charlie, and Matus then go outside to help defeat the creature. Ram and April find the landkin has grown out of a Terran space at the front of Coal Hill. They spot one main tentacle and direct themselves to where it ends, which turns out to be Tanya's house. As Tanya and the landkin continue to talk, the more aggressive the landkin gets proving Tanya's theory of it being a trap. It's a trap! It's a trap! It's a trap! Just in time, Ram and April arrive at her house. Her mother and brothers have been attacked during their sleep, leaving Tanya as the only one awake. But Tanya ends up ignoring them and grabs the landkin. The landkin is tricked by Tanya, being poisoned by her high amount of anger for her father instead of her grief. But this doesn't weaken it enough. Matus and Charlie try to cut the vines from outside her flat, but fail as they continue to regenerate. Quill drives a double-decker bus straight through the main vine of the landkin, yanking the apparition of Tanya's dad out of her bedroom, destroying her window, ultimately stopping the creature in its tracks. Everyone on the streets is returned with no one harmed, but their memories of what happened are gone. The group confines and discusses what happened. 
whilst Quill watches feeling slightly left out but put off by the comfort they show. Back at her house, she gets out her broken gun and promises herself to get it back. All right. Playing her father, her father, Jasper Adeola, Kobna Holdbrook-Smith. He was also in Paddington 2 as the warden of the prison. But Greg? Yeah. He played Detective Crispus Allen in Zack Snyder's Justice League. Oh, fantastic. So you got to see him in glorious full-screen aspect ratio. Because remember, Zack Snyder stylized it to fit the IMAX frame, which is basically almost the equivalent of a SDTV in 133.1. But more detailed. Okay, episode four. This is part one of a two-parter. It's called Co-Owner of a Lonely Heart. Much better than the owner of a broken heart. I'm sorry. No, you're not. No. In the underneath the home planet of the Shadow Kid, King Korakinis summons one of his followers, Rennes, who tries to cut the link between Korakinis's heart and April's. However, his magic only ends up making the connection even stronger, as Korakinis executes Rennes for his failure. April, sharing his rage and having lost control for an instant, realizes that she can now summon dark swords like the Shadow Kid. Meanwhile, Chari reveals the Cabinet of Souls to Matus. Back at school, April still feels the effects of her connection with Korakinis, and as a result gets angered during a class on the subject of war. She tells Ram, who she started a romantic relationship with in the previous episode, but as they ponder what to do, they are interrupted by April's father, Hugh, who recently was released from prison, and is estranged by the family after he tried to kill himself. They are interrupted by April's father, Hugh, recently released from prison and estranged by the family after he tried to kill himself, April, and her mother in a suicide attempt. As the conversation heats up, April, influenced by Cora Kinnis, summons a shadow sword and scares him away. As April and Ram bond further and make love, Cora Kinnis, unable to control the feelings he has from April, also has sex with Karis, a never shadow kid, attempting to help him. April's mother subsequently find April and Ram in bed together. There's a lot of sex on this show. Sex, sex, sex all over the place on Torchwood. Yeah, and fun fact, only half of that came from Captain Jack. Back at school, Miss Quill meets the new head teacher, Dorothea Ames, replacing Mr. Armitage, who died in the coach with the dragon tattoo and is considered, quote-unquote, missing. Charlie talks more about the Cabinet of Souls to Matus, stating that theoretically, in the hands of a quote-unquote hero, the souls of his race contained inside the Cabinet will take over the body they are attacking. Instead of destroying it, they thus become alive again. Miss Quill happens to overhear one of their conversations, furious at the discovery that Charlie has at his deposition a weapon capable of eradicating the Shadow Kid thus taking revenge for the massacre of both Charlie and Quill's races. She is summoned by the new principal, who reveals that she knows everything about the recent events at the Academy and the true identities of both Miss Quill and Charlie. She also reveals that she is working for the governors, whom Miss Quill first discovered in the couch with the dragon tattoo, and warns her about the ongoing invasion of killer petals who feed on meat to multiply and have been taking over the city since the previous night. Finally, she reveals that she might be able to remove the creature inside of Quill's head, thus allowing her to have her free will back. As April's in dispute with her mother about her relationship with Ram, her father comes back once again. Karis happens to be trying to cut the link once again at the same time. As she fails, Cora Kenneth executes her, and April, sharing his rage, loses control and comes close to killing her father. At the last moment, however, she successfully fights against Cora Kenneth's influence and her own hatred against her father, sparing him. As Karis' experiment turns out to be a partial success, Cora Kenneth discovers April's location. After sharing some of her connection to the Shadowkin with her mother, thus repairing her legs, April makes the choice to go directly to Cora Kenneth before he comes to Earth. Leaping through a Terran space-time to the underneath, Ram follows her right before the passage closes up. And now we go to part two of the two-porter. Bravish Heart. 
Dorothea Ames tells Quill that she and the governors believe Quill may be an asset in repelling alien incursions. Ames reveals that the Cabinet of Souls myth is real and offers to free Quill from the Arn if Quill forces Charlie to use the weapon to destroy the petals. Charlie, Matus, and April's parents arrive at Cole Hill. Dorothea explains the threat. Charlie, Matus, Quill, and Ames go to the Cabinet. Quill asks Charlie to avenge their peoples by destroying the Shadowkin instead of the petals. Charlie refuses to use the weapon as it would destroy his people's souls and leave him with no identity. Ames threatens Charles and Matus with a gun. Matus incapitates her. Tanya updates Varen. They join April's parents at Coal Hill, and Tanya diffuses the adult's argument over Ram and April's relationship. The petals begin to devour humans. April and Ram search the underneath, the Shadowkin planet, to find and kill Korokinus. Though this will also kill April, April's connection to Korokinus grants her Shadowkin knowledge and the ability to track him, but Korokinus can also sense her. April confronts and defeats Korokinus, and April's connection to Jackie enables April to open a passage to Earth. Hugh convinces April not to execute Korokinus, and the humans return to Earth. April realizes she is king of the Shadowkin. She orders the Shadowkin to imprison Korokinus. Destroy the petals, return to the underneath, and destroy the passage. Charlie finally activates the cabinet, but stops when the petals are destroyed. He admits he doesn't know whom he would have targeted. Ames admits to Quill that the governors expected April to save Earth, and that the petals shared one soul. Her goal was to study Charlie and Quill. Ames reaffirms the offer to free Quill. Korokinus destroys the anchor, reverting his connection to April to its former state. April loses her powers as no longer king. April affirms that Hugh must stay away unless she or Jackie seeks conflict. April helps Jackie take her first step. Playing Dorothea Ames is a lady by the name of Pookie Quesnell. Not known for any one thing in particular, but was in multiple things. The most notable for us Yankees would be three different characters in three episodes of The Bill which is basically Coronation Street if it was Hill Street Blues. Episode 6, Detained. Okay, now this is a long recap, folks. The episode opens with Miss Quill accompanying Charlie to detention for being a few minutes late to her class earlier that day. As he protests, Quill reminds him that although he forced her into slavery and refuses to avenge the genocides of their species using the Cabinet of Souls, she, as a teacher, has the authority to put him in detention. When they arrive, Charlie realizes that all the other students tasked by the doctor to protect the school were also placed in detention by Quill. Before he can react, Quill locks the door, hinting that she has other matters to attend and wants to keep them out of her way. As Charlie starts getting panicked due to his claustrophobia, April, who has another key, opens the door for him. As she does, a meteor flies through a nearby tear in space and time right into the detention room, causing an explosion. The students are unharmed, but realize that the room seems to simply be floating into black. The students start by wondering what happened to them. After ruling out that it was part of Miss Quill's plans and deciding that they are not in space, they come to the conclusion that something came out of a crack in space and time. They quickly find the meteor and understand that it is responsible for the situation. Things get out of control as they fear the meteor causes radiation, and Matus deciding to act grabs the meteor to throw it by the door. Oh, that's not going to work. Nope. However, before he can do it, he is hit by the strange effects of the stone. Without any apparent reason, he starts telling events of back when he lived in Poland and came out to his grandmother. Before suddenly telling his boyfriend, Charlie, that he, despite loving him, he is also afraid of him because Charlie is not human. He refuses to let go of the stone until April knocks it away from him. Being back to normal, Matus explains that he does not know why he said those things, but they were all true. He insists that it was only part of the truth, but Charlie's hurt. While they continue trying to find a solution, everyone keeps being angry, even as they realize it and find no reason to be angry. This leads Tanya to the conclusion that the stone is of alien origin, forcing whoever holds it to tell the truth and is making them more angry. Finally, she makes the assumption that the stone may somehow communicate via the person holding it and grabs it herself. Like with you, she tells her story about her past life relating to her having to admit the truth. Then forced to honesty by the stone, she states that none of the other students are actually her friends and that they all look down on her because she is younger. 
However, having concluded that as she cannot tell lies, she might answer to questions regarding the meteor. She makes the others question her about their situation. The trick works, and she reveals that the stone, quote-unquote, fries your brain if one holds it too long, and that it is sentient, wants to use them, and is a, quote-unquote, prisoner. Ram then knocks the stone away from her before it is too late. This reads like what we would call in the business a bottle episode, and one crucial cast member is missing. Yeah, you'll find out more about that in the next episode, but continuing further with the recap, and as I said, it's a long recap. Charlie tries to see if they can escape through the nothingness, but finds out that it is a mirror portal that immediately brings anything back inside, having concluded that they now share the meteor's prison. The students decide they must use the stone again to find how to get out. However, they also conclude that only those who did not use the stone yet can do it, as the ones who already did might die should they try again. Ram volunteers and grabs the meteor, he is forced to confess to April that he is in love with her, but is able to reveal that the prisoner is a male and a murderer who took many lives. But also part of this as a punishment, he is forced to always say the truth, explaining the stone's effects on them. Ram also felt like the prisoner was somehow gaining strength from their confessions and wants to kill them. The students are fighting more and more due to the influence of the stone, but also to all they truly feel after the last revelations. Forced to act faster as Charlie starts having panic attacks due to his claustrophobia, April grabs the meteor, who has gotten more powerful. She is able to reveal that they were taken out of space and time, meaning that they will not age or die, but will stay trapped forever. However, for those reveals, she also had to admit to Ram that she does not love him. Without having to hold the stone, Charlie reveals his feelings to the others. He tells them that he deeply desires to murder the entire Shadowkin using the Cabinet of Souls and revenge for them slaughtering his entire race, even if it means losing everything he cares for. He also admits that sometimes he hates Batus for being the main reason why he doesn't do it, and that none of the other students really know him. He finally grabs the meteor, thinking he has nothing left to confess before realizing and admitting that he knows he will eventually lose Batus. As Charlie had confessed every secret he had and proved he was more guilty in his heart than the prisoner himself, the stone breaks in the classroom and students are teleported back to their normal place in space and time. However, the prison meteor, recognizing Charlie as a guilty criminal, because that is what he feels in his heart, attempts to trap him inside of the stone forever alongside the prisoner. He is saved by returning Miss Quill, who shoots the meteor and destroys it. As the other students leave the classroom, deeply angry at each other, after all those revelations, Charlie asks a transformed Quill, now with a scar on her left eye, and inexplicably longer hair than 45 minutes ago, how she is now able to use a gun. She reveals that the creature he put in her mind to enslave her and stop her from running wild had been removed, and that she now has her freedom of action back. She states that things are going to change. Uh-oh. 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 And now, what happened to Miss Quill in Episode 7? the metaphysical engine, or what Quill did. Having left the students in detention, Miss Quill joins head teacher Dorothea Ames, who promised to help her remove the creature known as the Orn, forcing her to obey Charlie's authority. They are joined by Balin, an alien kept prisoner by the governors, whose shape-shifting abilities have been frozen. The three travel using a metaphysical engine, that can transport themselves to recreation or ideas of any place as long as this place is believed in. During their travels, they find an orange specimen to study, obtain the blood of the quote-unquote devil to unfreeze Valiant's shape-shifting abilities so that he can perform a surgery on Quill, and obtain the brain of a Quill goddess to study before returning to Coal Hill. Balin performs the surgery and removes the orange, leaving Quill's face and eyes scarred, but setting her free. Having bonded and developed feelings during their journey, the two rejoice about their success and have sex, but eventually realize that they are in fact in the Cabinet of Souls, before being told by a hologram of Dorothea that the governors never intended to let both of them return to Earth alive, and that there is only enough energy for one else to return. Having no choice, Quill and Balin fight each other, Bowen eventually appears victorious, having grabbed the gun left by Ames and aiming at Quill, who accepts her death. But when he reluctantly fires, the weapon fires at himself instead, killing him and leaving Quill in shock and grief. 
having escaped the cabinet, Quill finally returns to the students, tying in with the events of Detained. As time passes differently inside the cabinet, it has only been 45 minutes for them, but an entire day for her. Additionally, her body has grown several months older. She saves Charlie and reveals that she is now free of the on. After she passes out from exhaustion, Charlie and Matus realize that she is several months pregnant. Ooh! Playing Balan is Chike Okonkwo, who was in two seasons of La Brea. Whether he shows up in the third, whether there is a third, I don't know. Because, strike. But yeah, he is in La Brea. The gang is splintered. They are alienated and alone, unable to recover from the truths they faced in detention. Miss Quill is in hibernation, but she is a ticking time bomb, ready for revenge when she wakes. Lost without one another, the gang must reunite when the Shadowkin return to Earth. Raging a ruthless, unrelenting war, Cora Kinnis returns to Earth through minute tears in space-time and murders Ram's father and Tanya's mother. Following this, Tanya seeks the help of Quill and discovers her pregnancy. Charlie and Matus confront and threaten Ames into helping them. Cora Kinnis returns and attempts to kill Tanya's brothers. Quill steps in to save them, but not before Cora Kinnis is able to tie his life to Charlie's. Quill teaches Tanya how to fight in preparation for an inevitable war, whilst both Ram and Tanya command Charlie to use the Cabinet of Souls in order to prevent any more people from dying. Cora Kinnis threatens to kill Matus and tells April that he will leave Earth if she sacrifices herself. However, this is proven to be a lie. When the Shadow can invade Earth and take over the streets, Charlie is left with no choice but to use the Cabinet of Souls, which is expected will also kill April and himself. The cabinet wipes out every last Shadowkin, unleashing it across the city of London. Quill saves Charlie from the cabinet from killing him. Meanwhile, April awakens in the body of Cora Kinnis. Elsewhere, Ames returns to the governors, where she is judged unfit to continue serving them or witness the quote-unquote arrival for having allowed the cabinet to be used, and is murdered by a weeping angel. Yeah, because, you know, a weeping angel will basically misplace you in time and space and force you to live to death. And that's the show. Yeah, nice clean ending there, but it did kind of leave room for more should the need arise. In fact, in June 2017, Patrick Ness, who wrote all of the episodes, had plans for a second season, but he would not be contributing as a writer. BBC heads got the word. They noticed that not many people were watching it digitally or linearly on BBC One. Not many people were watching it here on BBC America, who helped bankroll the series. So the BBC decided on the 7th of September in 2017 that they were going to cancel the show. But don't feel too bad because, as is common with Doctor Who, who comes to save the day for this show? Big Finish Productions, of course. They produced four series of audio dramas based on class that take place during the run of the series. And you can download them digitally on Big Finish's website, or if you still love physical media, they are available to purchase on CD. And also, all eight episodes are available on DVD, or if you can't be bothered with physical media, they are available for $15, you said it was, Greg? $15 in SD, but $22.99 in HD. Yes, and that would be on YouTube, or Prime Video, or Apple TV. So what can we say about class? It definitely had class. I mean, it was as Doctor Who as a Doctor Who spinoff would get, still not in league with uh, Sarah Jane or Torchwood, and ultimately, class, despite 
several key connections with Doctor Who. It was just a thing on TV. But before we go... This is CNN Breaking News. That didn't take long as we record this. Game 1 of the World Series is going on and Kettle Mart stole a base. Oh, that means we get a taco. That means we get a taco. I mean, isn't that promotion like the most ridiculous promotion ever? Someone steals a base in the World Series and you get a taco. It's like that can happen in like any game. Like you know that's a given. Yep. In fact, I have a list of all of the people who have stolen a base since the promotion began in 2007. Jacoby Ellsbury, Jason Bartlett, Angel Pagan, Lorenzo Kane, Francisco Lindor, hi Mike, Cameron Rabin, Mookie Betts, Trey Turner, Mookie Betts again, Ozzy Albies, Kyle Schwarber, and now Kettle Mart. Why did you say me? Because freaking Francisco Lindor plays here now. Oh, he was in Cleveland when he stole the taco. Yeah. You don't hear Mike saying that the, the, the Guardians won the Lindor trade anymore. Now that Ahmed Rosario got traded for Noah Syndergaard. <laughs> Nightmare scenario, Greg. And it's a good thing Mike's not here or else he would have scolded me for bringing up Noah Syndergaard's time in Cleveland. Well, that's going to do it for this episode, sadly. But you can always go to our website at It Was a Thing on TV, where you can listen to the 423 episodes that precede this one. And we've got all sorts of great bonuses there, including mini suds, live shows, extended versions, everything. And we are on all social media, including Instagram, Threads, and Mastodon over at It Was a Thing on TV. Remember, if you're searching for us on Mastodon, we are at the instance tvwatch.party. So search for us at It Was a Thing on TV at tvwatch.party if you're on Mastodon. Just want to make that clear. And on Facebook, we are at It Was a Thing on TV podcast. And remember to subscribe to this podcast wherever fine podcasts can be streamed. You are at Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, Audible, you name it. And don't forget we are on YouTube where you can like and subscribe to this channel. And don't forget to hit the notification bell on YouTube to be informed of all future uploads on this channel, including what's coming up on the podcast next time. Well, we continue our celebration of Doctor Who's 60th anniversary, and we're talking about two shows that decided, you know what, we're going to make our own Doctor Who with Blackjack and hookers. Yes, one from Australia involves a stranger, and one from America involves... A train. So I guess you could say the theme for next week's shows. Stranger on a train. I guess you'll have to find out more about those in our next editions of It Was a Thing on TV. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here for the next one. Wow! There was a man. He dropped out. Now he's back. What a pain in my class. You see, Mike didn't know what he was missing. No, but he's about to. Dang.